sure is good to be here with you this morning. So thankful for this church here at Providence. So thankful for your fellowship in the gospel. So thankful for the ministry here and the work that the Lord is doing through them and in you. Thank you for your faithfulness to the work in Africa and how much God has blessed you to help in those endeavors and how this church and Fellowship Church are such good sister churches, even though we're separated by a state. We are close in our work and in our love for the Lord Jesus Christ and just thankful for uh, the word that Drew brought this morning. Thank you for that. I was blessed by that, and I'm thankful that we can see our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we see him, he's lovely, he's beautiful, he's precious, that he has rescued us from such a condition that we could not rescue ourselves from. And so I think that will be a theme this morning, as we just sang, when I survey the wondrous cross. You know, we should often be thinking about the cross. We should often be contemplating the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Not just Sunday morning when we sing the songs, not just when we have communion service, and it's kind of the theme of remembering his, his death, burial, and resurrection. But we should be thinking about it often and appreciating the fact that we have been saved from sin and saved to God and saved for eternal glory. And so um, I've been thinking a lot about the cross lately, and I think there's several reasons for that. I've, we've been doing a study at the church on Second Timothy, and Second Timothy are the last words of the Apostle Paul. And just thinking about the importance of last words, thinking about how every word that the Spirit uh, inspired Paul to write in Second Timothy uh, is just dripping with passion, is dripping with importance, um, and and uh, you've gone through that here, so you know. Um, and looking at that, the importance of those things that he wrote there, and just been contemplating how important words are and what we communicate. But especially as we, you know, as we live our life and as we get older, the importance of the things that we say and the things that we pass down. And so I've been thinking about that and related to Christ, you know, studying John 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 and, how, and 17 and how important it is, those last words that he spoke to his disciples, uh, how important those words are, uh, and they're such precious words to us. And then thinking about even on the cross, when it went into his sufferings, uh, so, sometimes we don't think about this, and I haven't thought about this as much, is that the words that, that Christ spoke as he was being crucified were so powerful and were so precious, and they were so very few such few words that he spoke in moments of agony and suffering while he was accomplishing our salvation on the cross he spoke there are seven sayings that christ uttered from the cross and these all drip with um with grace they drip with passion they drip with uh importance for you and in in your life so i want to look at those this morning as we have a little bit of time so the importance of the words of Jesus Christ from the cross. And there's seven of these sayings that we find throughout the Gospels. And so the first one that we're going to look at this morning is in Luke chapter 23 in verse 34. So the first saying of Jesus Christ from the cross. And it's no accident 
as we know that there are no accidents with God. But I don't think it's of any accident at all that the first words that come out of Jesus Christ as he's on the cross is words of forgiveness. In Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verse 34, Then, Je- then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Isn't that amazing that the first words someone would speak as they're being put to death, as they're not only being put to death, but as they have been treated harshly than anyone has ever been treated before, as they, as they have been beaten, as they have been scourged, as the, beard, the, the hairs of their beard have been plucked out, as they've had a crown of thorns put upon their head and, and, and it's been smashed in, and we know that the scriptures tell us that he was so beaten and that he was so bloody that you couldn't even recognize his face. People who knew him and had grown up with him, his mother, his disciples, his best friends, they couldn't even recognize him from the cross. And I'm sure it would be a shock to those who had nailed him to that cross. I'm sure it was a shock to those that were guarding over the, the crucifixion, the Roman soldier, the Roman centurion. I'm sure it was a great shock, as, as we see that it is, to those that were being crucified on his right hand and on his left hand who were railing against him and accusing him of being guilty of these crimes. I'm sure it was a shock to him that when this man opened up his mouth, instead of it being cursing, instead of it being railing, instead of it being uh, pleading his, his, his innocence, even his first words were, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Isn't that precious? Jesus is looking down from the cross as he's being crucified with two criminals. Two criminals that deserve to be put to death. They have committed crimes worthy of, of, of death, worthy of, of being crucified. People are mocking him. He's being tortured. He's He's dying a slow, painful death. He's suffering asphyxiation. He can barely breathe. His hands and his feet have been nailed to this cross. He's bleeding. He's suffering blood loss. He can barely breathe and he can barely speak at all. I'm sure that he can't see at all. Maybe he can see a little. And so in all this pain and all this suffering... And all that's being done to him, we know unjustly for his sake. He's suffering for you and I. He's suffering for our sins. In the midst of all this, he utters words of forgiveness. And this was consistent with who Jesus is, right? Because the very first words that he preached were words of forgiveness. In the Sermon on the Mount, it dripped with words of forgiveness, words of compassion, words of grace. Right When he taught his disciples to pray, he said, You're to pray, Father, forgive us for our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us. Right, Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. So this is what Jesus said. It meant to be his follower, it meant to be his disciple, and to pray like him was to pray for forgiveness for our sins and that we would forgive others as he has forgiven us. And so we see in Jesus Christ that it wasn't just what he said, it was what he did, right? We saw that he forgave 
people from time to time of their sins. He healed them from their diseases. He was always demonstrating forgiveness. And then he went to the ultimate extreme, and he went to the cross and suffered for your sins and for my sins. He was convicted unjustly. And while that was happening, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, he wasn't saying that the, the Romans didn't know what they were doing in crucifying, and crucifying him and putting him to death. He wasn't saying that those that were standing on and, and railing on him and, and shouting out insults at him, that they didn't know what they were saying. They did. What they didn't know was that he was the Son of God and that his father at any moment could have snapped his fingers or said a word and destroyed every single one of them. They did not know that they were putting the Son of God to death. They thought he was just a man. They thought he was a blasphemer. They thought he was a zealot. They thought that he was a, um, that he was a self-appointed Messiah. But he was the Son of God. He was the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world. He was the God-man. He was verily God and verily man. And he was there hanging on a cross, suffering for the sins of his people. And he utter, utters out words of forgiveness. There was also a time when the disciples were struggling with forgiveness and those that had um, wronged them. And, and Peter comes as their representative and says, you know, Jesus... If someone sins against us, if someone does us wrong, if someone treats us unfairly, how many times should we forgive them? And Peter, Peter is bold, and he says, seven times? If someone was to sin against me seven times in one day, should I forgive them all seven times? I mean, Jesus, you're asking a lot of us in doing that. And Jesus says, no, Peter, not just seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, that's 490 times. But Jesus is saying it's not the number that matters. It's that actually every time someone sins against you and they come in repentance and asking for forgiveness, you should forgive them. And so here is Jesus demonstrating this on the cross so that we will never forget that this one who was the Son of God, this one who had all power in, in heaven and in earth, had become obedient even unto the death of the cross and that he was suffering injustice that he was suffering pain, not for anything he had done, but for actually for what was doing right. And he wants you to remember that that might happen to you in your life, and you're to remember his, one of his final words, one of his only words from the cross is words of forgiveness. So how are you doing with that in your life? As he's called you to be obedient to him, as he's called you to serve him, and as part of that means that you are going to suffer persecution, you're going to suffer injustice, you're going to suffer pain as a result of that. Is your response going to be to cry out and, and say, why is this happening to me? Is your response going to be that this is unfair? Is your response going to be that, that this shouldn't happen to me? You need to be like Jesus Christ. You need to accept the Father's will, and you need to ask for forgiveness. The second word we find here later in the same passage, and it's, also an amazing thing that happens here. And I think that the conversion of one of the, 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 the thief on the cross uh, that was being crucified with Jesus Christ is a direct result of Jesus' words of forgiveness. Uh, because we find that he was one of the ones that was railing just as the other thief was on the cross. 
um, that he was railing out accusations against Jesus. He was mocking Jesus. He was saying that he, he saved others, but he can't save himself. But then when, when the Holy Spirit touches his heart and he hears the words of Christ that says, Father, forgive them, he's thinking of himself. Forgive me for railing out accusations against this one who's perfect and who's holy and who's, who, who is just. And he's converted on the cross. And here's Jesus uttered these words of forgiveness. It says in one of the malefactors, verse 39, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If you be the Christ, save yourself and us. But the others answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, seeing that you are in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing amiss. His eyes were open. His perspective totally changed in a moment. His, 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 he saw Jesus Christ. Now his eyes were open. He says, we're suffering justly. He's innocent. He has done nothing wrong. This man is holy. This man is pure. He understands now that Jesus is not just a zealot. Jesus is not just a misguided man. He's not just a good teacher. Now he sees Jesus in his dying, in his dying moments as Lord and as Savior and as one of, of power, one of authority. He says that he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He sees Jesus as Lord now, and, he, and that means that Jesus has all authority. He also sees that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, because he says that he knows Jesus is going to die, but he says, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. He knows Jesus now is Lord and he has authority over life and death and that he's going to be raised from the dead. And even though he's going to die, he now recognizes that Jesus has the authority over his soul. And he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, and he, and Jesus said unto him, and this is the second saying of Jesus Christ from the cross, Verily I say unto thee, today you shall be with me in paradise. Those are precious words. Precious words. You know how precious those words had to be to that man who was dying. That man who now saw himself as a sinner. Who saw him, himself worthy as condemnation. And of judgment. And of hell. He had done, there was nothing in his life that he could now plead and say, Because I've done these things, I'll be accepted into heaven. Because of these things, remember me and accept me into your kingdom. I'll be a part of your kingdom because I've lived a good life. He hadn't lived a good life. He had lived a terrible life. He was guilty of violating the law. There was nothing that he could hang his hat on. All he could do was say, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, remember me. Jesus, have mercy upon me. And what Jesus says is, you're forgiven. You're accepted. My righteousness is going to cover you. Today, today you will be with me in paradise. And so this is precious, that Jesus... in with his dying breath, offers words of hope to this man. Not only words of forgiveness, but words of hope. Words of hope. Today you will be with me in paradise. Maybe you need that word of hope today. We're all getting closer to the day of our death. And we need not only forgiveness, we need to not only that our, know that our sins have been covered and that God the Father has forgiven us of breaking his law, but we need hope that someone's righteousness 
is going to cover our unrighteousness. We need an imputed righteousness. And Jesus Christ gives you that hope. It is only the righteousness of Jesus Christ that will cover your sins, that you will allow to be forgiven, and that you will allow to be accepted into the wonderful kingdom of God. So Jesus offers words of hope. Words of hope. And I hope that you can rejoice in that this morning. The third word, the third saying that we find uh, in Jesus Christ on the cross is found in the Gospel of John. So turn over to John 19. So he spoke forgiveness. He spoke hope. But thirdly, he spoke compassion. He spoke compassion. Jesus Christ is dying. He's being put to death. And his mother is there watching all these things take place. And as indeed had been prophesied, her heart, her soul is being pierced through with many sorrows. She had to see her beloved son be tortured. She had to see her, her beloved son be marred. She had to hear him cry out those awful words that he would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But we see even in Jesus' last words, as he did throughout his whole ministry, he spoke words of compassion to his mother. In John chapter 19, in verse 25, it said, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother, and the disciple standing by whom he loved, that's John, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then he says to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. Even with Jesus' last breath, even dying and being tortured, he was caring for his mother. He was caring for the one he loved. He was showing compassion. He knew, obviously, he would be raised from the dead. It, it wasn't that. He knew he would be raised from the dead, and he knew he would, he, would be, uh, he would ascend into heaven. He would take care of his mother. He would be ruling and reigning in heaven. But he said, my physical presence isn't going to be here anymore. Now I have protected, I have provided for, I have watched after my earthly mother. And even it's touching to me that even from the cross, even with his dying breath, he utters out words of compassion and concern for his mother. And we need to be people like this in our life that what we're taking our time doing and what we're taking uh, time with our words saying is words of compassion, words of concern, and words of care for those that we love. Because we're tempted from time to time, I don't know about you, but we're tempted to use our words and our time to not actually comfort and lift up and encourage but a lot of times we're rebuking we're putting down we're tearing we're tearing apart because that's our sinful nature so we've got to look at jesus and see that even in his dying breath he was uttering words of compassion of concern of making sure that his mother was going to be taken care of that john was going to take care of his mother and that john understood that that was going to be his role and responsibility now and as i look at this i see the tenderness 
of the man, Jesus Christ. Not only was he speaking forgiveness, not only was he speaking hope, but he was speaking compassion. And he cares for you. He was caring for you, and he was making sure that your soul was going to be taken care of. He was, going to make, he was making sure that your life was going to be a life of peace, a life of blessing, and a life of being provided for. Because without him dying on the cross, none of those things would be possible. All you would have would be pain and suffering. All you would have would be, would be, would be loss and no hope of, of, of eternal life. But Jesus Christ, because of what he did, he offered words of compassion, of care, and of concern for you this morning. The fourth saying of Jesus Christ from the cross will turn over to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 27. And this is one of the most heart-wrenching and sorrowful sayings of Christ from the cross. But this helps us have a glimpse into the humanity of Jesus Christ and what he went through for you and I. Matthew in chapter 27, we understand that Jesus not only suffered immense physical pain, but greater than that was actually the, the, the pain of the soul, the anguish of the soul. He said before that he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said that his soul was exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. And it tells us that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. The anguish of soul and of spirit was so great, it was like the ultimate depression. If any of you have ever experienced depression and those symptoms, Jesus had that greater than anyone has ever had before. And as he is suffering and dying on the cross, he's, we know that there was darkness that covered the face of the earth for three hours. And what Jesus is experiencing is not only is he dying physically, but he's suffering anguish of soul and anguish of spirit because his beloved father whom he has always had perfect fellowship and always had perfect union with, there has been a temporary separation of this fellowship and of this union and of this closeness because he's becoming the sin bearer and because the father has, is having to turn his face away from that and because he's having to pour out his wrath upon him, Jesus Christ is feeling that and experiencing that. And so he, he is experiencing this anguish of soul and it says that he cries out in Matthew 27 verse 46, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, we know that Jesus knew why. Jesus always knew why, and he knew what was going to happen. He knew what he was going to have to suffer. But Jesus was human. Jesus took upon himself flesh and bone. He was verily man. And in this moment, his manhood was crying out. And he was saying, Why have you forsaken me, God? And that should bring you great comfort to know that the Son of God, who was perfect, and who was pure, and who was holy, and who had never sinned, that he cried out to God his Father and said, Why have you forsaken me? So, I, I, I know in my own life, when I go through times of, 
of discouragement, when I go through times of maybe being treated unfairly, or when I go through times when I have, I'm just having the suffering, suffering because of sin in my life, that I'm also tempted to cry out in those times, God, why have you forsaken me? Why do I have to go through this? Why do I feel this way? And it gives me great comfort to know that Jesus Christ, my Savior, as he was dying on the cross, and one of the few words that he uttered out was this same expression, God, why have you forsaken me? Why does this have to happen? And so Jesus enters in into your situation. He enters in into your life, and he says, I understand. I understand what it's like. I understand what you're going through. I went through the same thing. And you can cry out to him. You can cry out to God. And the wonderful thing is, is that when we cry out to God, the Psalms tells us that he hears us. He knows us. He sees us. He hears us. And he comes down and he gives us what we need, just like he did King David. When King David cried out in the midst of the caves, when he, when he cried out when he was on the run from Saul, it said that, that God heard his cries and God had mercy upon him and God gave him grace and strength. And even though Jesus Christ cried out this, God gave his son strength to endure to the end. And so oftentimes we're asking the question, why? Why does this have to happen? Why did this happen to me? And we need to remember, why did it have to happen to Jesus? Because it was the Father's will. It was necessary for your salvation. Things happen to us because they're part of the Father's will and because they're necessary for our sanctification, for our perseverance in the faith. The fifth word we find in the Gospel of John, and this again speaks to Jesus' humanity, as did the last one. But we find out that after he's been on the cross now for... The ninth hour to the third hour, it's been about six hours he's been enduring this. That not only is he, is he suffering loss of breath, not only are all his, his whole body falling apart, but certainly we know that Jesus Christ was thirsty. So he cries out in the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verse 28, and says, I thirst. I thirst. You know, that could just seem like a simple phrase, a simple two words that you could just say, well, of course, anyone who's being treated this way and has been treated this way in the whole, the whole day that he's gone through, remember he had, to, he had to carry the cross for as long as he could until he, he could carry it no more. He was led to, this, to Golgotha. He was nailed to this cross and raised up. He's been suffering asphyxiation for over six hours now. Certainly, he would be thirsty. We can't imagine how thirsty he, he was. And you can think about the thirstiest time that you've ever been. Maybe you've been working out in the heat all day and, and hadn't had anything to drink. And, you know, just one drip of water, just one sip of water. Uh, I'm getting thirsty talking about it. <laughs> oh, and the satisfaction that brings, you know, just to have a sip of water. And so this again shows us what Jesus Christ was suffering and going through for you and I, of how, how thirsty that he was. But I think that there is something deeper than that. I think that there is some spiritual meaning behind this, right? I think that he longed and he thirsted to have the fellowship and the union back with his Father. 
He was thirsting for that. He's also thirsting for your complete salvation. It was nearing to the end, and all he was having to do was cry out and say, It is finished, and I commend my hands unto your spirit. And the sacrifice for your sin, the, the payment for your sin would be accomplished, and your, your eternal state would be secure. And he says, I'm longing for this, and it's so close. And so there was more than just natural thirst. There was spiritual thirst that he was about to accomplish the salvation of his people. He thirsted for the love of his father who had had to turn his back on him and was pouring out all his wrath upon him. And he was thirsting for your love and your salvation. Remember that. Remember how much Jesus Christ loved you, what he was willing to go through for you, and how intense this was. And, you know, all that we could give Jesus Christ was what they gave him when he thirsted, which was what? Vinegar, right? The wormwood in the gall. All that they could give him was something bitter, something really that would just make him more thirsty. And there's a songwriter who put it this way. He says that all our love was vinegar to a thirsty king. All our love, all your love, all your righteousness, which is but filthy rags, was just vinegar to Jesus Christ. That's what you gave him. Oh, but aren't you glad that what Jesus Christ gave you was his life-giving water? He is the fountain of living water. He is that which is sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. He is that which satisfies the longing of your heart and your soul. And so he had to thirst so that because you thirst because of your sin, you could be satisfied by the living water. So these words are precious. Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus showed that to us. The sixth word is a really precious word to us. And it is found in John chapter 19, verses 29 through 30. And it is the words, It is finished. It is finished. We remember that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. And when John saw him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ had to become the Passover Lamb. He had to become the, the scapegoat. He had to suffer for the affliction of his people. He had to keep the law of God to a jot and a tittle. He had to do for you what you could not do. He had to do for you what the law could not do. He had to appease the wrath of God against your sin. He had to sacrifice his life for your life. He had to be perfectly righteous. He had to be perfectly holy. He had to love God with all his heart, all his soul, all his strength, and all his mind from the day he was born to the day he died. And he could not have uttered the words, it is finished, if he did not do that. Because it would not be finished. Only a perfect sacrifice, only a perfect lamb, and only suffering the eternal wrath of God for every one of your sins, could he say the words, it is finished. I have done the work 
which the Father has called me to do. I have laid down my life. I'll take it up again, but I'm laying down my life. The penalty, the payment for your sin is finished. It's finished. Your place in the family of God, your eternal home is now secured. It is finished. Jesus Christ has bought you with his own blood. And now you are secure. Now your eternal security is in him. And if you are in the Father's hand, if you are in Christ's hand, and he is in the Father's hand, then no one can pluck you out of his hand. And so because he uttered these words, it is finished. It means that your salvation is complete in Jesus Christ. And your salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It is finished. The last word is that when Jesus drew his last breath, it tells us in Luke 23 and verse 46 that he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Isn't that beautiful that the last words of the Son was Father? What a relationship. What love. Remember, he cried out in his humanity, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But his last words aren't, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His last words are, Father, the one whom I know loves me and I love him. The one who has always been with me the one whom I'm going to see now as soon as I give up this last breath. Into your hands I commend my spirit. We see actually in this the final humility and the final submission of Jesus Christ. After this moment, it is no longer the humility of Jesus Christ. Now it will be the exaltation of Jesus Christ. The last thing he says is, Father, I com- I, I com- into your hands I commend my spirit. But the next thing would be, Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ will rise victorious from the grave and over death. And he will, be, he will have all power, all authority in heaven and in earth. And he will sit down at the right hand of the majesty on high having accomplished eternal salvation for all of God's people. And he will begin to rule and to reign in his kingdom and in his church. And no one will be able to stay his hand. No one will be able to keep him from doing what he purposes to do. No one will be able to stop the growth of his church and of his kingdom in this world. In fact, the greater they try to stop his kingdom, the greater they try to persecute his people, the more they grow the more they spread. And so this was the final act of humility and submission of Jesus Christ as son to his father. Here's my life. I've done everything that you've asked me to do. I've fulfilled the law and its demands. I became the perfect substitute. There's no longer a need for sacrifice anymore. The veil of the temple was rent in two. There's no longer a covering. There's no longer uh, a need to go in and have to, to go to the mercy seat. Jesus Christ has become the mercy seat. 
He's become the mercy of God. He's become the love of God. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. That should be precious to you. Because he commended you also at the same time into the hands of the Father and says that I have paid for this one. My blood has covered this one. This one belongs to you and this one belongs to me. This is my brother. This is my sister. And I'm commending them into your hands. And you know what? The Father accepted that sacrifice. He accepted that sacrifice. And his spirit was into the hands of the Father, just as your heart, just as your life, and just as your spirit is in the hands of the Father as well. Because if you are in Christ, then you are in the hands of your Father. So I hope that you can take comfort from these last sayings of Jesus Christ from the cross. But I'm glad that these weren't the last words of Jesus Christ. Because we celebrate not a king who died, but a king who's alive. A king who rose from the dead and ascended and is alive evermore in heaven with his father. And he's ruling and reigning until that day when he comes home. So today, remember that these weren't his last words. These weren't his final words. In fact, the final words that we have recorded in our Bible is in Revelation, at the end of Revelation. And what does it say? He says, Behold, I come quickly. And the church says, Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. So his final words are, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. So may we anticipate that day. May we appreciate the words that he spoke on the cross. May, have that, may they have impact in our lives. And may they help us to think about our words to those that we love and how we, we use our words till the day that we die. May God bless you and keep you as my prayer.